This is part six of a ten-part series describing the ten Makos in Mitzrayim, and this shir will describe Shechin. First, the story. Rav Pesach Mikuvrin, the Kuvrin Arav, Rav Mordechai Pesach of Kuvrin, who was Rav Moshe Feinstein's, one of Rav Moshe Feinstein's Rabbanim, was Mishamesh the Chafetz Chaim, would assist the Chafetz Chaim in the Chafetz Chaim's latter years, and one night he was passing by the house of the Chafetz Chaim Friday evening, around midnight, and the Chafetz Chaim was studying Parshas Vaera. And every time the Chafetz Chaim recited a Makkah, one of the plagues, he would shout or, or, or exclaim, ay, ay, feeling the, the difficulty, the burden that the Egyptians must have weathered. When he reached the Makkah of Shin, the Chafetz Chaim's response became much more animated and even laughing a bit, at least the way the story was told. What was the Chavetz Chaim laughing about when he read Shechin? What makes Shechin so different from all the other Makos? It's not altogether clear. Maybe some of these ideas will help. We can probably detect three or four sub-dramas to the Mak of Shechin. The first drama is probably the obvious one. These are very, very contagious diseases, embarrassing diseases. Um, they afflict a person's body, his skin, they're uh, dermatological, they're visible, they're pus, they're an infection. And as I mentioned, this is part of those middle makos, the maka of Arov, Dever, and Shechin, the Adash makos, which didn't attack Egyptian commerce, finance, technology, the Nile River, the irrigation, but basically dismantled Egyptian society, the ability to build a a city and live together. Once there's plague and epidemic and pandemic, people have to live separately. And certainly, if there was quarantine taking place during the Makkah of Dever, Vashem Hiskir, Hashem closed them in, as I read the Pasuk in Tehillim, well, certainly you can only begin to imagine how many people had to be quarantined when this uh, epidermal disease, uh, the, the skin disease that comes into contact with others is not not something that afflicted the animal population, but afflicted the human population. And people could no longer live with one another in closed precincts. People have to live in solitary confinement or quarantine. It's illustrated by this Pasuk, which describes the Khartoumim. And I'll get to the Khartoumim a bit later. But the Pasuk writes, The Khartoumim could not stand in the presence of Moshe because of the Shechin. Very, very interesting image a central image, and that's the image, interestingly enough, that made the Chavaz Chaim laugh. Why couldn't the Khartoumim stand in Moshe's presence? What does this tell us about the Khartoumim, the magicians, and what does this tell us about Shechin? Well, part of it may have been practical. First of all, anyone who's had allergic reactions or hives or other types of rashes, very often they just afflict your knees, um, your legs, especially if it's, uh, if it's not just a, a bacterial infection or the release of hist- histogens, but sometimes it's, it's rheumatoid-related. It can be related to the bones, and it can really affect a person's ability to stand. So they just couldn't stand. In fact, when Shechin is described in Parshas Kisavo as part of the Tauchachan, I'll mention this Pasuk a bit later, so the Pasuk writes in Devarim Parach Chavches, Hashem will afflict you, Yakacha Hashem b'shechin ra, Terrible shechin will be your punishment for your betrayal of Hashem. Al ha-birkayim v'al ha-shokayim, on your knees and on your legs. 
So rashes and shechin afflict and affect every part of the human body, but very often they affect our, our legs and our ankles, and they hinder our ability to stand. So if simply the Khartoum couldn't stand because they were afflicted physiologically with a type of shechin. Perhaps they were also just embarrassed. Shechin is just an extremely, extremely embarrassing moment for a human being to stand in front of another person with rash, with pus, with big zits and blots on your face and red and rashy and irritated and scratchy. It was just an embarrassing moment for them. But aside from the physiological and the psychological issues, that physiologically they couldn't stand, psychologically they were embarrassed and they were debased, and think about what I mentioned in the Makkah of Kinan, that this is debasing these royal, noble Egyptians, the Khartoumim is the image of the superior Aryan Egyptians who had enslaved this lower race of Jewish people, Hashem was bringing them down a few notches, was taking away their hubris, they now were lice-ridden, they had some sort of venereal or perhaps even sexually transmitted disease. Um, keep in mind that just as Dever turned the clock back and eliminated Egyptian cattle while preserving Jewish cattle, and now the Jews became shepherds, and it reminded them of a previous moment in their historical narrative when they were all shepherds as free men. They could imagine their freedom now in a palpable sense because their professions were returned to them. Well, when the Egyptians were stricken with Shechin, and according to Chazal, it wasn't just Shechin, it may have been Saras as well. Chazal speak about 12 or 24 forms of Shechin, which afflicted the Egyptians. Well, they all remembered a previous encounter with the Jewish people, in which their leader was stricken with a strange bodily disease, perhaps somewhat sexual in nature, that prevented healthy marital relations when Paro when Paro kidnapped Sarah in Parshas Lech Lecha. Paro was stricken in a very similar way. We don't have record that it was Shechin, but it wasn't too difficult for people to connect the dots. And part of the Makos are not just punishing the Egyptians or showcasing religious messages or instructing the Jewish people, but reversing these hundreds of years of slavery, returning to an earlier state, if not actually, at least mentally, for people to sense that redemption and delivery were in the way, and and we're no longer slaves because the same, the same sentence handed down to Paro hundreds of years ago because he dared to intervene in the marriage of Avraham and Sarah, this same punishment is afflicting a modern day Paro in part because he infiltrated and invaded the Jewish marriages according to Chazal. Part of the slavery included very, very long hours which prevented the Jewish people from healthy, normal family relationships or even Worse, there may have been some more hostile attempts to intervene, to rape Jewish women. So, this whole contagion is very clearly an attempt to break Egyptian social bonds, family bonds. People can't live with one another, can't live in each other's presence. Even the Khartoumim have to retreat to their quarantined rooms. It debases the Egyptian uh, uh, arrogance it, in some ways, handicaps normal marital relations. And that would probably be the main thrust, the most apparent thrust of Shechin. Debasing, contagion, hampering city life, and in many ways handicapping family life. Number two, um, even if it weren't this contagious disease, and it weren't intended to create separation and quarantine, 
It's just physical suffering. And this is the first time that the Egyptians actually suffer physically, bodily, personally. And it just ratchets up the intensity and the horror of what's occurring in Egypt because the Egyptians won't release the Jewish people. That sense that bodily suffering, captured by Shechin, which is the most physical, that is captured in two other locations in Tanakh, where Shechin is showcased as the paradigm of physical suffering. And not just the physical suffering, but the intensification of human suffering after commercial suffering, economic hardship, other forms of travail, other forms of challenges. So, for example, the Pasuk I read before, the Tochachan Parshas Kisava, which describes the slow, gradual intensification of Am Yisrael's punishment, losing our national sovereignty, losing our base on Mikdash, losing our financial wealth, having our cities invaded. And if we still don't, we still don't heed, we still don't pay notice. So the Pasuk says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will afflict your body. And what is the example of HaKadosh Baruch Hu imposing bodily suffering? Again, that Pasuk in Perak Chavches, Pasuk Lamed Hei, Yakecha Hashem B'Shechin Ra, Ala Berkayim V'Ala Shokayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will afflict you with Shechin. Probably more graphically, more graphically is Eov. And remember, Eov suffers different stages, different grades, different phases. The Satan is given opportunity and authorization by Yerkadosh Baruch Hu to test this servant of God, to see if his faith will remain intact. And when Eov effectively passes the first couple rounds, so the Satan challenges Yerkadosh Baruch Hu and says, well, maybe... Maybe he's resilient, but that's only because the suffering has been external. He's lost his family, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his reputation. But what happens when he starts to suffer agonizing physical torture? What will happen in that case? So the Satan receives authorization for that as well. This is Eov Perak Beis. And he afflicts Eov with terrible shchin. The same language as Parshas Kisavo, from his legs to his head, again emphasizing the fact that this is something which can even affect legs and sometimes primarily affect person's legs and person's mobility. Keep in mind that according to one report in Chazal, Eov was contemporaneous to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The story of Eov occurred simultaneous to the story of Mitzrayim. In fact, according to one version of Chazal, Eov was one of those advisors whom Paro consulted with before enslaving the Jewish people, and he was he was one of the conspirators, according to Chazal. He encouraged Paro to persecute the Jewish people, and for this he was punished. So anyone living at that time who may have heard the story of Eov and may have heard about that ultimate suffering of Shin, and may have heard that his Shin Eov's suffering was punishment for his collusion with Paro, may have been able to connect the dots back to the Shechin afflicting the Egyptians. At the very least, even if they didn't connect the dots, that just as Eov received Shechin, so did the Egyptians receive Shechin, it was still very apparent that this was an intensification of suffering. All of a sudden now it was affecting their bodies, it was affecting their, of course, their psychological state. People suffer, it's not just physical. That's probably the second layer to Shrin, not just contagion, embarrassment, debasement, but actual agonizing pain, suffering, 
It was growing, it was parech, abba avuos, the Torah says, it was both growing as well as pulsing. This was not an infection that, uh, that came and went, as we would say. This was a long-standing infection that constantly was reinfected and was bubbling within, and was it was wet inside and dry outside, or... This was a very, very complicated and difficult disease that brought suffering and, and real, real cruelty upon the Egyptians. Not cruelty, but, but agony. Another interesting part of the Makkah is how it occurs. And here, very, very unique, very atypical. The typical plagues had either been directly delivered from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructed Dever, and there's no physical activity necessary. Hashem called forth the Arov. Moshe doesn't have to stretch his staff over any jungle or forest. Or sometimes Moshe and sometimes Aharon extend their mata above the Nile. They hit the Afar, they hit the ground, and the Kinim develop. Here Moshe takes two handfuls of ashes, or not even ashes, it's called Piach Kivshan, which may not even be the ashes, it may just be this very light grayish air, which is mixed with some of the ashes that float into the air. Piach Kivshan, he takes two large fistfuls and he hurls them to heaven, and this, this like, uh, dust, I guess you'd call it dust, avak, spreads over Egypt and causes shechen, and it's not clear, and the Rishonim discusses, not altogether clear, whether miraculously Hashem converted the dust into shechen while it was in heaven or while it was in the sky, or this dust fell on the Egyptians and actually caused the shrin. But there was no supernatural divine conversion of this dust into uh, shrin irritant or shrin uh, allergent. Very interesting. So two things are happening. First of all, the selection of this afer, this ash-based dust. Take a look at that verse in Ehov. When Ehov tries to recover and soothe and calm his shrin, what does he take? What helps him? He takes some sort of shard of pottery to scratch his body. This is Pasuk Ches in Barak Beis. And he is sitting within the ashes. Somehow the ashes had a cooling effect, had a remedial effect upon Eof. And here quite the opposite occurred. Here, the ashes turned into Shlin. So definitely ironic definitely showed that it was supernatural, that the, the one coolant, the one medicine which would typically calm the irritation, in this case caused the irritation. Why the afer was chosen from the ovens, it's hard to know. Chazal supplies certain suggestions. But one thing is clear. This is fascinating. After the Mak of Shechin, after the entire country was afflicted with Shechin, in all there is Mitzrayim, as the Torah says. Because of some ashes and dust from these furnaces and ovens that had spread over the country, and it wasn't as supernatural as HaKadosh Baruch Hu calling forth animals. It was very, very natural, it was very clear, very empirical. They saw this dust and these ashes creating Shlin. Afterwards, I can't imagine that the Egyptians were too quick, too quick to light fires or to burn furnaces. You can only imagine their reaction after. And this wasn't, again, this wasn't as miraculous, at least to the naked eye. There were miracles within miracles. You throw up 
two fistfuls of ashes and have them hurl into the heaven and spread over an entire region of Mitzrayim, it's very hard to throw ashes to heaven. You throw them and they, they typically land right where you throw them. Moshe took two fistfuls. And, but they saw this dust creating shrin. This ashes-based or ashen-based dust. One thing seems pretty clear. After Shrin, no more fires. No more campfires, no more furnaces, no more factories, no more fire. If you talk about an entire country grinding to a halt, industry grinds to a halt, human beings live in cold, dark shelters. Choshech almost occurred already, not the supernatural Choshech of Makas Choshech, but if I were an Egyptian, I'd be terrified to light a fire. I'd be terrified to create coals or kivshan because of the consequences of Shrin. So whatever symbolisms the ashes and the fire had or didn't have, it's clear that here there was a consequence, an aftermath of Shrin, which is very much part of the Makkah. So it isn't a, uh, a transient, uh, passing Makkah that has an impact and then, and then moves on, but these are leaving long-lasting handicaps in the Egyptian culture and Egyptian society. And then there's one more thing, and this is clear. This is very, very clear in the Pesukim. Unlike any of the other Makos, Moshe is the celebrity in this Makos. At the most, in previous Makos, he sticks his staff, he hits the earth, he hits the Nile. Here Moshe is extremely involved in the logistics and the mechanics of creating this Makos. He takes dust, ashes, throws it to heaven, causes Shrin. The Khartoumim can no longer stand in the presence of Moshe, not in the presence of the Makkah, Moshe. Moshe's name is mentioned four times in a span of a few psukim. What's happening is fascinating. And it's part of the challenge of the Makos, and the challenge in general for religion. As Jews were challenged, on the one hand, we want to have a direct, unmediated relationship with an invisible God, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Shalom. On the other hand, our minds aren't capable of conceiving it. So we need intermediaries, people to teach us Torah, people to teach us about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And is that, it's that tension that creates an eagle, because when we lose our intermediary, we can't conceive of such an invisible, unseen God. So we look for some intermediary, and, and we create something which is, of course, a miscarriage, a, a, a pagan idol. But the challenge that everyone faces, even a Jew, is even, even more complicated for Egyptian pagan minds. You speak about Hashem you can't see, and so many of the Makos were directed towards that. But at a certain point, they're just, they'll be so confused and so ignorant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they'll fear, but they won't truly know, they won't truly assimilate. There'll be a fear, and they'll release the Jewish people. But how much will they truly understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So Moshe's role is not just this intermediary to deliver Makos. Moshe has to gain fame, popularity, renown. And we see this occurring in Parsha's bow when Moshe starts to become more popular than Paro, and the slaves of Paro, and the entourage of Paro shows more respect to Moshe than to Paro. And it's an ongoing process, but this is a benchmark. This is a watershed event. Moshe is highlighted in the Makkah of Shrin, and he's not just highlighted, but basically, and this is hard to say, basically he outduels the magicians, and he outduels them at their own game. 
essentially this makab shlin is more magical in terms of magic, pure magic, than any of the other makos. It's not like some divine decree where animals show up out of nowhere. It's not like hitting a, a Nile and calling into force natural forces that are just redirected. This is basically magic. Taking dust, hurling into the air, watching that dust spread over the entire Egypt, that dust still smoldering probably from the furnaces falls on various Egyptians and causes shchin. Now we know it wasn't magic and we know Kodesh Baruch Hu created the Nisim, but the Nisim aren't that apparent. This is essentially Moshe as a Khartoum, Moshe as a magician. And that's why this face-off between Moshe and the Khartoumim is so crucial. Pasuk Yud Aleph, V'lo yachlu ha-Khartoumim la'amod l'fnei Moshe mipnei ha-Shchin, ki ha-Shchin, ki ha-Shchin b'Khartoumim v'chol Mitzrayim. This is a contest between Moshe and the Egyptian Khartoumim. It debunks the Egyptian Khartoumim, but it debunks them in a way that Egyptians can understand. It's their nisim, but it's still as magic that they're accustomed to, and Moshe outduels the magicians at their own game, and basically puts the Khartoumim to rest. This is really the last we see of the Khartoumim. Um, so, it's a difficult notion, because so many of the Makos are aimed at steering the Egyptian mind away from paganism and away from black magic, especially Dever, as I mentioned in the Shion Dever. But in some ways, it would be so abstract and so unfamiliar to them that they may be compelled to release the Jewish people because they've lost their stamina and they've lost their ability to withstand all the makos. But to truly understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they've got to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu's shliach and they've got to see his power and his, his strength and they have to see it in terms they can make sense of and then ultimately, Moshe Rabbeinu's appeal, and Moshe Rabbeinu's popularity grows, and he's able to slowly educate them outside of the parameters of paganism and magic. But keep in mind, the Egyptians won't, won't encounter Harsinai, won't receive the Torah, so the sophistication that we experience of slowly learning about HaKadosh Baruch Hu is something that they'll never, they'll never experience. And this is an opportunity for Moshe Rabbeinu, but not, not for Moshe's own popularity, but for Moshe's uh, agency of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be cemented and to be cemented in terms that at this point they're able to understand.